The teaching for this evening is based on Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 through chapter 2, verse 10. This is God's word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were trapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Before we turn our attention to this story in Jonah, I want to make a quick announcement about what we have coming up next Sunday. We have a congregational meeting right after worship to elect new officers. We've got uh, one new elder nominee, uh, actually not new, but a returning elder, as well as two uh, new deacons. And we'll have a meeting uh, right after worship. And I'm actually going to give each of them a chance to talk and uh, share at that meeting. But in the meantime, we have put together a, uh, a brief uh, pamphlet uh, where they have written about their own Christian experience, how they came to faith, how God's worked in their lives, as well as their sense of call to serve this church. And after worship, if you'd like one of those, uh, one of our deacons, Josh Moore, he'll be standing in the back with a box of those, and you're free and welcome. I'd encourage you to pick one up and read them. I think they're really good, and it'll be really helpful. Uh, but just so you know, that's coming up next Sunday, and um, hopefully you'll be able to, uh, to make that. All right. Let's get back to Jonah. We are, are back in Jonah this week. We're continuing our study. And uh, we come, perhaps, I think, to one of the most famous stories in the Bible. The story here of Jonah and the big fish. And I think it's always good, especially when you come to stories like this, uh, as many have, uh, have wondered, did this really happen? Is it authentic? Or is it just made up? And while I think that's always a good thing to examine a story like this, it's equally, I think it's equally as important not to get distracted by the big fish. Because the story really isn't about the fish at all. In fact, the, the, the big fish here is kind of a walk-on part. It's mentioned twice, one at the very beginning and one at the very end. And what I want us to see is that this story is really all about God. It's all about God's gracious rescue of Jonah, the runaway prophet. 
But it's a story that's actually much more uh, than, it's, it's about much more than just a generic rescue. It's not just that Jonah was in a bad situation and God uh, came in and rescued him. It's, it's actually much worse than that. It's more beautiful than that. It's more penetrating than that. It's about God pursuing one of his children in spite of his disobedience. It's a story that teaches us that God disciplines those he loves. That's the central idea of this story. That God disciplines those he loves. And that discipline involves and leads to Jonah's rescue. Now, I, uh, as many of you know, I've been a parent now for almost 13 years. Most of that time is with more than one child, and we have four boys. And I think all of us could, especially of children, you could come up with, what, what is the hardest thing about parenting? And at this particular stage in parenting that we find ourselves in, it's discipline. How to teach, to shape, to correct multiple people in this case, <laughs> who want nothing to do with that and in fact resist it at every point along the way. Now I suppose, you know, why is that so hard? It's, well, for us, it's hard to be consistent. I used to say or think you just needed to be consistent and I now think that is impossible. <laughs> you can't be consistent. Or for us also, it doesn't seem to work. No matter what you do, it doesn't seem to take. Discipline is simply an unpleasant and often painful, whether you're giving it or whether you're receiving it, which really makes this passage, I think, particularly difficult for us. And there is at least two reasons why I think it's hard for us. Because... The reality is most of us have either been the recipients of bad experiences of discipline where those whom you were supposed to be able to trust, who were supposed to love you and care for you, didn't in the name of discipline. But also uh, what is difficult about this passage is that according to Scripture, according to the Bible, discipline is how you know God loves you. It's how you know you are loved by God, that you are a child of his. Listen how the writer of Hebrews puts this. This is a very good uh, overarching perspective on this story that we find in Jonah when he writes, God is treating you as sons. And we should also read their daughters. For what son or daughter is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons or daughters. But God disciplines us for our good. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I think that's one of the hardest things about discipline is that in the Bible... Discipline. God disciplines those he loves. And that is a very difficult truth to accept and to receive and to understand, let alone enjoy. 
So what we're going to do is look at this story under that idea that God disciplines those that he loves. And we're going to learn who God disciplines, how God disciplines, and then why God disciplines. So first, let's look again here. Who God disciplines. As I've said, God disciplines those he loves. But look here again at Jonah. Let's remind ourselves about the main character in the story. That Jonah, he is a prophet of the Lord. And he has been a successful prophet. If you remember back in the, when we first began the book, we looked at 2 Kings chapter 14, where Jonah is mentioned as the prophet under one of the worst kings in the history of Israel, who is tasked with bringing good news to God's people, even though they are not following him. And God blesses them. And so Jonah is a successful, popular well-known, appreciated prophet. He's a prophet who has great spiritual privilege. He's one of God's people to whom he's, God has given his covenants and his promises, his grace and his mercy. He's, as we could say, he is a child of God. He's one of God's sheep. And yet, As we also notice from the very beginning of this book, Jonah has been struggling mightily with what God says and what God called him to do, to go to Nineveh and to preach to them. To Nineveh, Jonah's, Israel's worst enemies. Put it this way, think of it like this. Jonah is experiencing in this book, and as we're going to see throughout the whole book, what I would call spiritual dissonance. It's like when you go to see an orchestra play and they're warming up before their performance. All of the instruments are doing their own thing. It is, for me personally, so uncomfortable, I almost can't stay in the, in the orchestra hall. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. That's what Jonah is going through, spiritually. His understanding of God and his promises are butting up against God's call in his life to go to Nineveh. And there's this dissonance. And instead of asking God for help with that, he runs the opposite direction to try to get as far away from it as he can. Now, pause for a moment. Can you, can you relate to that? Where your either life experience or your circumstances or your understanding of God's promises and even the desires of your own heart, you begin to have this spiritual dissonance that's very uncomfortable. And instead of going to God, you begin to figure out or think about how can I get away from this? How can I get away from this and deal with it without having to deal with this God? But what I want you to see here is that God doesn't let him go. He pursues him. Even though Jonah runs the opposite direction, what this passage and leading up to this passage shows us is that God pursues those that he loves. Even especially when they are running the opposite direction. And he pursues Jonah through the deepest and darkest experiences a human being could have. So that's who God disciplines. 
But in doing so, God teaches us how he disciplines those that he loves. And not only that, but also how to recognize when he does it. So let's look secondly at how God disciplines. In this prayer where Jonah is three days and three nights in the belly of this fish, after this traumatic experience that we're going to look at here, what we begin to see is that God's discipline is multifaceted. But it has a very singular purpose, to turn your heart back to him. So let's look here for a moment. I want to show you very, I'm just going to skate over these. But I want to mention them, and I'll tell you why when I'm done. There are at least six facets to God's discipline of those that he loves. And the first one here I want you to see is that God disciplines patiently. Remember, think for a moment, what's been happening in the story? Jonah is a, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah says no. He journeys to Joppa, a city down by the the coast of the Mediterranean. And he finds a boat. And he gets on the boat. And he's out on the water. And God sends a great storm. And he's on this boat. He's confronted by the the pagan sailors who get on his case for not praying and being concerned about what's going on. Then he gets thrown overboard. He realizes that he's the one at fault, that this is all happening because of his disobedience. And the only way forward for him, according to his way of seeing things, is that the sailors should throw him overboard. And then God appoints this great fish to go and rescue him. And he even gets three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. You see, God, in his pursuit, and it's a relentless pursuit, it's a persistent pursuit, but it's patient. He doesn't come after Jonah and smite him right away. Or even at all. But he pursues him patiently. And, and, you know, commentators debate, what does this mean? First, these three days and three nights in the belly of the fish to the original readers. We'll look next week at how Jesus picks up on this story and applies it to him and his ministry. But for now, think of it, these three days and three nights are a chance for Jonah to reflect, to have to look at what has God been doing and therefore we can ask ourselves, what does he learn as a result of God's patient discipline? What does he learn to this experience? So the first aspect here is he, God disciplines patiently, but then he does so sovereignly. Notice what happens here. Jonah, the story tells us in verse 15 of chapter 1, that the sailors picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. But look here in verse 3 of chapter 2. Jonah begins to have a new perspective. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. All your waves and your billows passed over me. You see, God's discipline here of Jonah begins to dawn on Jonah that the God he said he worships is absolutely sovereign over all of the details of his life, every event, 
And he begins to see in a new and deeper and fresher way how God is at work in his life, even through his disobedience. This is one of the most significant principles that you could ever learn, and it's one of the most mysterious, astounding ones, that not even a hair falls from your head that the God of the universe doesn't know about it. He is so intimately aware of and involved in your life. Every single detail, every single event, he is involved in, that God's discipline, it's sovereign. But it's not just some bare power or something like that. It's actually, the, we see in the third aspect, it's relational. Notice what happens here in verse 3 and on to verse 4. There's this progression that Jonah first says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. But then as he moves and he realizes in light of this experience, in verse 4 he says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. You see, God's discipline is relational. He disciplines you relationally to waken us up to him, to your relationship to him. See, at first Jonah in verse 3 is most concerned about being cast into the deep, into these waters that are overwhelming him, and he's close to death. But as a result of that, it actually wakens him up. And he moves from being concerned about his circumstances to being concerned about his relationship to God. He says in verse 4, I'm driven away from your sight. It's not just I was cast out, but I'm cast out from you. But then, not only is it relational, God disciplines responsively. In light of this, Jonah, as we see in verse 2, he calls out to the Lord out of distress, and he says, you answered me. You heard my voice. You didn't abandon me. You didn't forsake me. In the deepest, darkest hours of abandonment and forsakenness, you heard my cry, and you answered me. Do you see how significant this is? That this, The way that Jonah prays this prayer, really of thanksgiving, he describes himself as, as far from God as you could possibly get. When he says in verse 5 and 6, verse 6, at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land. It's this image that at the very base of the mountains, at the bottom of the sea, he cried out and God heard him and he answered him. What's that tell you? No matter how far you are from God, when you cry out to this God, he will hear you. He will answer you. He will rescue you. Not only is it responsive because he hears, but God's discipline is merciful. Notice here the contrast between verse 3 and then verse 6. Verse 3 begins again, for you cast me into the deep. But then look in verse 6 towards the end. Yet you brought my, up my life from the pit. You cast me into the deep, yet you brought me up. God's mercy to him. 
But not only did he bring him up, he also brought him close. Verse 4 again. Jonah says, I am driven away from your sight. But then look in verse 7. Jonah says, my prayer came to you into your temple. Jonah was cast out from God, but God brought him close. You see, God doesn't rescue you to stay apart from you. He rescues you to bring you into his very family, to make you one of his own. But then, lastly, he disciplines miraculously. And here's where the fish, the great fish, I think, comes into play. Why does, why does God do this? You know, the, the honest answer is, I don't know. This is just what he did. But if you think about it for a moment, what's the one thing that Jonah needed to learn? The one thing that Jonah needed to learn is what he actually says at the very end of verse 9, that salvation belongs to the Lord. What better way to teach Jonah or to teach you and me that when God saves, he saves in a way that is precisely suited to your plight, to your situation, to what you need. That's how this big fish functions in this story. Jonah is at the bottom of the ocean and God rescues him in the only way that he could be rescued. And as we're going to see in a moment, this is precisely how the gospel works, how the cross of Jesus Christ works. That the cross of Jesus Christ is uniquely suited. It's the only means by which sinners can be rescued. It maps onto everything that you need and cannot acquire and get on your own. But remember what I said, here we don't only see how God disciplines, that he's patient, he's sovereign, he's relational, that he's responsive, that he's merciful, that he saves in a miraculous way so that you could in no other way but declare that salvation belongs to him. It also, all of these things also help you to see it. They're like handholds in your life. They're ways for you to discover what God is doing in your life. But why does God discipline those that he loves? To what end? So let's look at third here. Why does God discipline? And I want to give you three, three reasons here. The first one is that because we need to feel our need for God's grace and experience it for ourselves. Think with me for a moment. There is an enormous difference between knowledge of the truth, knowledge of God, knowledge of the Bible, things that it teaches, theology. There's an enormous difference between that and knowledge of the power of the truth, of experiencing that truth. So, for example, you know, someone might tell you that honey is very sweet. And you might know that. That's a piece of information that you have learned. But that is a very different thing than tasting the sweetness of the honey for yourself. 
And through this discipline that God does in Jonah's life, and that he often does in our lives, Jonah begins to experience grace in a way that he never had before. That it actually was true for him. That he needed it. That he was just as in need of this saving grace as even the Ninevites that God was calling him to go and serve. If you ever need some help, perhaps, do you know that? Do you have any sense of that on, on your very heart, on the deepest parts of your soul? If not, you spend some time in Psalm 63. It's a great place to go to learn how, how do I have that kind of experience? How do I thirst for God? How do I become satisfied with Him? How do I feast on His goodness and behold His power and His glory to a point where it begins to melt your heart and change you from the inside out? If, if you don't know what that is, all you, all you need to do, just go ask Him for it. That's how he gives it. There's nothing that you can do. Just ask him for it, and he freely gives it. But that's the first reason why God disciplines, because we need to feel our own need for this grace and experience it for ourselves. And that actually leads to the second reason, because this discipline actually equips you to show mercy and grace to others who, like us, don't deserve it. You see, remember, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh where his enemies lived. He thought he was different than them. Outwardly, he was. He was an Israelite. He was a member of God's people. The Ninevites weren't. They, they worshiped all kinds of gods. Jonah's, no, I, I worship the one true God. But see, Jonah didn't realize that at the core of his being, he was no different. That he was as spiritually bankrupt as his hated enemies And through this experience that God puts Jonah through out of love for him, it equips Jonah. It begins to change his sense of self, his relationship to God, and in particular how he views other people. But then thirdly, why does God discipline those that he loves? It's because of the gospel. It's because of the cross of Jesus Christ which turns sinners and rebels into children of the king. Think for me, with me for a moment. Perhaps you're listening to this and, and you're reading this story and you're having this thought. Okay, this is fine as far as it goes. It's great for Jonah that God has done this in his life, but what about me? How can I know How can I be sure that God will pursue me and hear me and rescue me out of the deepest grief and despair? Especially when it's my fault. How can I be sure God is not out to get me or that he's any moment going to pull out the rug from under me? Especially when everything in my life is unraveling. How can I know that? And the answer to that is that on the cross, Jesus Christ got the opposite of what Jonah got. Let me try to explain this and show this to you. 
Jonah, when faced with going to Nineveh, his enemies, he turns around and runs the other way. Jesus, when faced with going to the cross for his enemies, said, not my will be done, but yours. And he goes. Jonah, when faced with the death that he deserved, he cried out to God, and God heard him and rescued him. Jesus, when faced with death on the cross that he did not deserve, he cried out to God, and he got silence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? That's Jonah's cry in the depths of the sea. Jesus cries out to his Father on the cross, dying on death he doesn't deserve to die. For sinners like you and me who deserve to be there, and he cries out for rescue, and he hears nothing. See, on the cross, Jesus was forsaken. He was abandoned. So that all who trust in him would be rescued and welcomed in. See, why God disciplines those that he loves is because because of Jesus. If you belong to him, everything in your life, and this, I, I, believe me, I understand how hard it is to hear this. It's hard for me to say it. Everything in your life, even the worst experiences, God is at work in and through for your good because he loves you. The cross of Jesus Christ tells you that. That's what it means to be a Christian. That you know because you look at the cross, God is for you. He is not against you. And why is that? Because on the cross, Jesus paid the debt for sin. And it would be unjust for God to demand two payments for the same debt. It would be unjust for God to punish you as one of his children. And this is the big difference. How do you tell the difference between punishment and discipline under the gospel. You only can tell the difference by looking at the cross and seeing God's love shining through, laying hold of you, telling you over and over, for God so loved me that he sent his only son. That's why God disciplines those that he loves. See, now you can be confident that no matter what is going on in your life, if you belong to Jesus, he is for you. So God disciplines those that he loves in order to rescue them through faith in Jesus. Now let me finish by giving you a few things to think about to test yourself. What would it look like for God's discipline in light of the gospel, to begin to take root in your heart? What would you look for? What would be some of the signs? Look in verse 8 and 9 here briefly. You see three things. What you'll see is compassion toward others. 
In verse 8, Jonah says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You see, Jonah had begun to see that he was no different than the pagan sailors on the boat or the Ninevites he was being called to go to. He began to have compassion that only in God do you discover what it truly means to be loved. Compassion for others, but also consecration of yourself. Verse 9, Jonah says, With the voice of thanksgiving, will I, will, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. You see, Jonah has begun to realize he is a sinner saved by grace, and therefore he owes his whole life to this God who has rescued him. He can hold nothing back. It all belongs to him. And then thirdly, confidence in God. Verse 9 again, Jonah ends, salvation belongs to the Lord. See, Jonah, through this experience, had grown in compassion. He had recommitted himself, consecrated himself in light of this grace to serve the God that he believes in. And that he has now grown in confidence. He's discovered that he actually does believe that God is a saving God. Even for someone like him. And if it's for him, could it not also be for his enemies, those who he least likes? Do you see any of those? Those are marks, signs of this work of grace in your life when God disciplines those that he loves. But if you don't see those, don't despair. Don't allow that spiritual dissonance to lead you to run from God. Instead, go back to the gospel until it becomes real to you. And it begins to change you. And you begin, like Jonah, to give thanks to him, to rejoice in him, to relish God and behold his grace and his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this book. It's a heavy one. It's one that we need a lot of help to, to sort out, and it can also be pretty threatening. And yet we pray that through all of that, you would help us to see that you are a God who saves. You are a God who hears. You're a God who pursues. You're a God who is not far off, but you are near. Help us to know that because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, no matter what's going on in our lives, we can look upon you and come back to you and know that you are at work, that you are loving us, caring for us, working your grace and mercy into us through the, all of the details and the experiences of life as we know it. Father, would you help us to see our lives and through that perspective through the lens of the gospel of your pursuit of your love for us even at infinite cost to yourself in sending your son would you please do that it's in jesus name that we pray amen